Crime, mystery, and drama. These are themes we find in classic literary works, but you know the old adage, write what you know. The most legendary authors in history all lived fascinating lives that seem like works of fiction, but it's their deaths that give us the ultimate cliffhangers. There's nothing more frustrating than an incomplete story, but we may have enough clues for you to come to your own conclusions. And number one on today's list epitomizes the notion that life imitates art. Or should we say death imitates art? Because this literary icon left us with just as much mystery as he put on the page. all you weirdos, welcome to Crime Countdown, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm Ash. And I'm Elena. Every week we'll highlight 10 fascinating stories of history's most engaging and unsettling crimes, all picked by the Parcast research gods. This episode, we're counting down the top 10 mysterious deaths of literary icons. I consider myself to be, and I think you'll agree, I think I'm a voracious reader. Yes, I would say. If, when people ask me about you, I'm like, oh, voracious reader. She reads voraciously, Constantly. is what she does. I honestly would like live inside of a house made of books if I could. But I have a super cliche favorite book of all time, <laughs> and it's The Great Gatsby. <laughs> but I do also have a tattoo to go along with it, so I feel like I at least committed to it. Yeah, you're not like a poser. Yeah, I'm not just like, oh, I love The Great Gatsby. You're not a phony. Like, I'm not a phony like Holden Caulfield. That's actually one of Catcher my in favorite the books. I love that book. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you're definitely like a bigger reader than I am, but I used to read a lot whenever yeah. I could. Like I would read Falling Asleep, I'd read in the car, like mm-hmm. anywhere. And now I feel like I'm reading a lot of terrifying books for research purposes. <laughs> so when I get to do like my own leisure reading or leisure reading, however you want to say that. Leisure. When I do my own leisure reading, <laughs> I read like chiller books. Like uh, the book I'm about to start is The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo. <laughs> Excuse me. I love just like a good like summer beach read type of book. Like You do love a beach read. I do. When I saw the title of this, I was like, literary icons. I'm so excited to talk about that. But then I saw that that word mm. mysterious deaths and i was like oh what do you mean mysterious i was like come on because i always i think i've said it before i always feel like i need to solve an unsolved mystery i need to so i'm already stressed but i do have number one and as soon as i saw who number one was i was like yes because it's one everyone will know the name but not everyone will know the story My heart is racing with anticipation. I'm sure it is. But if you don't know how this goes, Elena will go over five literary icons and their mysterious deaths, and so will I, but neither of us knows who's on the other's list. Let's start the countdown. Ten. I'll start us off with number ten, Dante Alighieri. Alighieri was an Italian poet, writer, and philosopher, best known for his poem Divine Comedy. It's widely considered one of the greatest literary works in the Italian language and one of the most important poems in the Middle Ages, NBD. (laughs) He finished Divine Comedy in 1320, one year before he died. But it's not so much the manner in which he died that landed him on our list, but the fact that there's been a strange centuries-long battle for his body. Excuse me? For his bod. (laughs) For his bod? Yes. 
So in 1302, Dante was actually exiled from Florence, the city where he was born and lived. Born and raised. <laughs> it's a long story as to why he was exiled, but just know he got the boob. I was just gonna, I was like, why? It's a story for another day. Dante actually never went back to Florence, even when his exile ended, but also like, why would he want to? Yeah, why would you say. go back to like a place that did that to you? Yeah, you know, it's like going back to an ex. It is. Yeah, you just don't do it. Don't exile me. I'm <laughs> yeah, not coming back. You exiled me. You exiled me. I'll exile you. Well, sadly, on September 14th in the year 1321, Dante died of malaria in the city of Ravenna. And it's in Ravenna where he was buried. So Florence decided their hometown boy needed to come back and wanted his remains returned to them. It's like, he's famous now, so of course they want him. <laughs> of course. That's also really fake. Like, that's really fake of you, Florence. <laughs> right? Well, in 1519, Florence came for the body, but it wasn't there. Florence came for the body, and it was, but it wasn't there. Gone. The, the whole of Florence came. Everybody and it wasn't there. came a, a looking for the bod bod, <laughs> and it wasn't there. Well, the friars who were the custodians of the bodies had hid Dante's remains and just never put them back. Whoops. They actually weren't found until 1677, which was over a hundred years what? later. How do you just like not put them back? Because, well, maybe they knew it was coming or something. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Well, in 1781, another hundred years later, a mausoleum, especially for Dante's remains, was built and they're put on display. Oh, wow. So it's like, first of all, like no one could have them. I was just Not a single say. person. And then it was like, here, everybody, here you go. Well, history repeats itself in 1810. The friars again fear that his body's in trouble of being looted, which honestly it probably was. Probably. So they hide him again and again. They forget about him. Somebody needs like a, a reminder on their phone, maybe a post-it <laughs> note. Just on their phone in 1810. Just let, them, let them know. Hey, Siri. Hey, remember his body. Well, the bones were found in 1865, 50 plus years later, and they were found only by chance during the renovations of the Basilica of San Francesco. It was then put back on display. Oh my God. Well, in March 1944, World War II got into the mix now, you know, as World War II that does. Thing. Dante's body must be protected at all costs at this point. So the casket was buried in a garden until December 1945, when it was then returned to its public display. Again! Oh, you just buried it in a garden real fast? Yeah, you know. Whose garden? The secret garden. <laughs> what garden? That's what that was, uh, was. based off of. That's I'm the secret. <laughs> I'm just confusing everyone. Yeah. Ash's version of history. <laughs> well, guess what? Florence is not letting it go. Oh, man. Just Here they to, come. Yeah, no, right? <laughs> just to be sure that everyone knows that Dante belongs to their city, on the anniversary of Dante's death every year, the city of Florence sends olive oil to burn in the votive lamp that hangs in the mausoleum that it had gifted to Ravenna. And since 1829, the city of Florence has had a resting place ready for Dante if he's ever returned to his hometown. I love how they're like, Dante, we are ready. If you ever decide you want to come back <laughs> in death, if that ever occurs to you, we you have a home here. It's also like you didn't have a home here for like ever because like when you, you were alive. Up, but but now we want you. Like, yeah. That's not fair. No, I think they should. You know, that's a lot. Fake friends. Fake friends, Florence. Nine. At number nine is Francis Bacon. Bacon was an English philosopher and statesman whose work helped develop the scientific method. He was the opposite of Aristotle, who focused on logic and reasoning. Bacon was more like 
You gotta get your hands dirty if you want to understand nature. You can't just look at it and think about it. And while his process was revolutionary, it's also what caused his death. A somewhat bizarre death, to be fair. As the Irish Times puts it, Francis Bacon was, quote, a pioneer of scientific thought. He'd say things like, quote, If a man begins with certainties, he shall end in doubts. But if he will be content to begin with doubts, he shall end in certainties. We love a philosopher. We love that. They're always out here, like, <laughs> spouting some, some good words. And you know what? All it means is, don't be a know-it-all and be open-minded about what you're studying. I like it. Which I think we can all get behind. Yeah. Bacon wasn't just smart. He was well-connected and had status in life. He was a member of parliament and extremely active in politics, law, and the royal court for decades, which kept him from being 100% dedicated to science. But when it came to his approach to science, Bacon was a man who focused on experimentation and data. And he also started writing about his approach to science, among other things, mainly during the early 1600s. I kind of like that he was like, we have to look at both sides of things. I you love know? that. He seems pretty rad. Yeah. As a statesman in 1621, he got accused of accepting bribes, and he spent some time as a prisoner in the Tower of London. Oh, yikes. <laughs> and he made it out of that? Yeah, he Dang. did. After that, he retired and put all his focus on science. He was like, I've seen some ish, and I gotta get out of here. <laughs> I really, I spent time in the Tower of London. I and think it's it, about time. I bet the Tower of London would make you want to study science, or yeah. like, at least psychology. It'll change you, I feel. Yeah, as in, a whole person. In some very, like, real way. Yeah. In 1626, he was conducting a series of experiments involving ice. He wanted to see if he could preserve a freshly killed chicken by stuffing it with snow. I really would like to know why why that thought came into his brain. I, f I feel like there was a lot of things that led up to that. Probably that Tower I, of London. Yeah, but Tower of London, there you go. Inspired by the Tower of London. If I stuff this snow into a freshly killed chicken, will it preserve it? I mean, it's a good thought. I mean, yeah, like freezers preserve things. I was things, just going to so. say, where are we now? Yeah, look I'm at him. I'm just saying. It didn't work. And while attempting this, he spent too much time out in the cold, which ended up making him sick. He developed pneumonia and died on April 9th, 1626. So what you're telling me is this man died because he wanted to find out what would happen if you stuffed a chicken with ice. And what happens is it doesn't work. And you die. Yep. Okay. All right. Yeah. So he caught a, he caught a cold. Wow. A very bad cold that yeah. turned into pneumonia. That's sad. That's a bad way to go out. Definitely. And you survived the Tower of London. I know, and then pneumonia takes you out. Ugh. I mean, pneumonia will. Woof. Eight. Number eight on our countdown of mysterious deaths of literary icons is... Jack London. From the day he was born, this man was Wilden. He was a novelist, journalist, and a social activist who became one of the first American authors to garner international fame and earn a large fortune from writing. A lot of his work was inspired by his crazy life adventures, and his death in 1916 at the age of 40 is questionable. Smithsonian Magazine put it perfectly when they wrote, quote, his short life was controversial and contradictory. I'm in. I'm so in. <laughs> I'm in. Now, Jack London had a famous quote. I would rather my spark should burn out in a brilliant blaze than it should be stifled by dry rot. And he literally died by that quote. There's nothing boring about <laughs> London's entire life from start to death. 
By the time he was 10 years old, he was already working. Oh, okay. Which is wild, but like back then, like makes sense. Get it. Well, at 15, he rented a small sailboat to poach oysters and sell them illegally to restaurants. This also introduced him to some hardened criminals who got young Jack into heavy drinking, which was the start to his lifelong addiction to alcohol. That's a bummer. It really is. It's super sad. He got arrested at 18 years old and spent 30 days in prison, where he said he witnessed unprintable, unthinkable things. That's horrific. Yeah, to say the least. And only 30 days there. I know, in in that span of time, in a month, you see like the most terrifying things you've ever seen. That you can't even write about. It's probably like Tower of London. Tower of London again! (laughs) Coming back. But in 1897, he found exactly what he could write about and joined the gold rush. Like, just a (laughs) casual decision. And he went on to have huge success with novels including The Call of the Wild in 1903, which was about the gold rush, so write what you know. (laughs) He also wrote The Sea Wolf in 1904 and White Fang in 1906, and all of those books made Jack London rich, rich, rich. Get it. But then on November 22nd, 1916, Jack London was found unconscious on the floor of his home in Sonoma County, California. Well, basically, no one knows if he took his own life or if he died trying to save himself. Whoa. Like, the complete opposite things right there. Two ends of the spectrum. The Argus Courier reports that confusion around London's death began because three different physicians had to be called to his ranch that morning. Three. London biographer Russ Kingman wrote, A partially empty bottle of morphine was found, which prompted the first physician to declare the cause of death as morphine poisoning. But later that day, London's personal physician changed that diagnosis to acute uremia and that London had been treating himself for it, which basically means his kidneys were failing and he was attempting to delay his death as much as possible. That's where that drinking problem comes back into play. I like that the first doctor was just like, uh, well, there's a bottle of pills there. I bet that's the, yeah, that's the, that's the reason. Let's not check into it. It's all good. (laughs) Okay. Right. But the Argus Courier also reports that Jack London biographer Irving Stone eventually wrote that London had been found unconscious on the floor by his Japanese servant and that the servant had also found, in Stone's words, two empty vials of morphine sulfate and atropine sulfate, Plus a pad of paper with a calculation of lethal amount of dosage. Whoa, that changes things. It really does. In the end, his wife wanted the cause to be blamed solely on uremic poisoning. Man. I know, that was, he really was wild and from start to finish. He really was, and at 40 years old. I know, that's super young. Wow. I wonder what it was out of all those possibilities. I wonder. At number seven this week is Mark Twain. Mark Twain was his pen name. His real name was Samuel Clemens. Fun fact, if you didn't know, he's obviously one of the most well-known American writers and humorists in history, giving the world the adventures of Tom Sawyer and the adventures of Huckleberry Finn. He also apparently predicted his own death, which he tied to the appearance of Halley's Comet. All right. (laughs) I bet you didn't see that one coming. I did not. In 1835, Halley's Comet arrives. It's a big deal. To say the least. Anytime a comet comes by, it's always like, whoa, big news. That's space up there. It's always just just a reminder. We're like, whoa, space. Space junk. That's nuts. Well, two weeks later, Mark Twain is born. To be clear, he did not arrive on the comet, in case anybody was wondering. Thank you for clarifying. Yeah, I don't know. I might have thought that. 
Now, there's been historic events over time that have occurred during the comet's appearance. In the year 989, do you remember it? Uh, yeah, I was born then. 989. Yeah, that's me. An English monk saw the comet for the first time and took it as a bad omen. Days later, his town was attacked. Ooh, so that was right. Years later, in 1066, another great year, the monks <laughs> saw the comet again and reportedly wrote, quote, You've come, have you? You've come, you source of tears to many mothers. You evil, I hate you. It is long since I saw you, but as I see you now, you are much more terrible, for I see you brandishing the downfall of my country. I hate you. Whoa. I love that that was like his burn book about comets. <laughs> it really was. This comet is the it's nastiest. <laughs> it truly was. I hate you. I hate you. Oh, I love it. Well, that same year, 1066, same great year, that William, <laughs> you keep saying I just, that. I love that year. Uh, William the Conqueror invaded England after he saw the comet and took it as a good omen. So now we're getting mixed signal. What do you think you would take a comet as if you didn't know what it was? If I'm going off of like William the Conqueror or a monk, I, I guess I'll take the monks. <laughs> like bad omen. Yeah, I mean, you're seeing like fire blazing in the sky. So you're probably like, that's not good. And he was also like, really like, I hate you the worst yeah, he, like it was like a visceral feeling yeah i feel like that's the reaction i'm gonna go with I hate, you. I hate you so creepy coincidence or was the monk on to something monks i think are, we're all thinking they're always on to something i was gonna say monks are always <laughs> right? on to something so 1909 comes around mark twain knew Haley's comet was coming around again and that's when he predicted he would die with it he reportedly said, quote, I came in with Haley's Comet in 1835. It is coming again next year, and I expect to go out with it. It will be the greatest disappointment of my life if I don't go out with Haley's Comet. The Almighty has said, no doubt. Now here are these two unaccountable freaks. They came in together. They must go out together. I love that. That's not like a prediction so much as like a manifestation. I I kind of love that though. He was manifesting his own destiny. These two freaks came in together. They got to go out together. I love it. These two <laughs> freaks. Great. I love that he's like, we're bros, me and the comet. We do things together. Yeah, we're, we are. It's just this how this is going to happen. We're kindred spirit. Well, Mark Twain died the next year in 1910, one day after the comet appeared. He must have been pissed the day before. One day. Imagine though, like that day when it didn't happen, he was probably like, are you kidding me? Right. I know it's true. I want my money back. So now he did experience a lot of tragedy and illness in his life over the years. So some attribute him dying to a broken heart, but the official cause of death was a heart attack. So not a broken heart. But the eeriness of the Haley's Comet connection is something you really can't ignore. Like coincidence? Or is there something bigger at play? It's manifesting. Also on our list at number six is Emile Zola. Zola was a French novelist and playwright famous for his contributions to the theory of naturalism. He was nominated for both the first and second Nobel Prize in literature. Um, go off, Zola. <laughs> right? But in September 1902, he died from carbon monoxide poisoning and had the world questioning, was it a freak accident or a murder? More mystery. All the mystery. This is actually um, mysterious deaths. Oh, I forgot. Yes, yes. Yeah. 
On September 28, 1902, Zola and his wife come back home from a trip to the country. They light a fire, shut the windows, and lock the doors. Ooh. Smart. This sounds spicy. I knew you were going to say that. I loved the ooh. Oh. I'm like, they lock the doors. <laughs> like, light a fire, ooh. shut the windows, lock the doors. Get sexy up in here. Get it. <laughs> Zola had received enough death threats over the years that they locked themselves in at night to be safe. Yeah, that's a little less sexy, but I suppose we'll go with I it. I mean, I lock myself in and I haven't yeah, gotten any death threats. everybody should. But here's the thing. At 3 a.m., they both wake up feeling sick from carbon monoxide fumes that had filled the room that they had been breathing in. Unaware that it was carbon monoxide poisoning, Zola didn't let his wife wake the servants for help. He just thought they didn't feel well. Oh, no. Then 9 a.m. rolls around and the servants busted the door open when things seemed off. They found Zola on the floor and his wife unconscious on the bed. Oh no. Doctors tried to save Zola for roughly 20 minutes, but he didn't survive. And his wife was taken to a clinic to recover. So she lived, that's crazy. Later that day, Zola's wife sent word to her husband's mistress and their kids about his death. Uh Oh, okay. Yep, yep. Zola had two kids with a mistress and the wife knew about it all. Oh, wow. Okay. That, that changes my whole like, ooh, sexy time with the wife. Okay. Yeah. Also, now that I'm like getting the picture of Zola, it's like, you've got a mistress. You're not letting her get up because she's like scared and wants to tell the service. She doesn't feel well. Yeah. Thank you. Let her get up and tell someone about it. Well, rumors quickly spread that Zola had been murdered and an investigation began. To investigate, a fire was lit in their house to test for fumes. They locked literal guinea pigs <gasps> into the room to see what would happen. They all survived unharmed, meaning no toxic fumes, which was strange. Yeah, weird. Now, between the chimney flue and the amount of soot in the chimney, nothing seemed dangerous there either. So it was announced that Zola's death had been due to natural causes. Hmm. Then, jump to 1953. A French newspaper gets a letter that claimed Zola had, in fact, been murdered by contractors working on the roof next door to Zola's house. One contractor allegedly confessed in 1927 that he and his men blocked Zola's chimney without being seen and then quietly unblocked it early the next day again without being seen. To which I say, how do you not see people on a roof two days in a row? Why did they? I went, wow. Wow. I mean, he definitely was like pissing people off. Yeah, he was, but holy. But what do you believe? Did guilt catch up to a dying killer or is someone looking for attention here? I don't know. It kind of feels like he did it. Yeah, I, and like a deathbed confession. Well, actually, I think I made that up. He he wasn't on his deathbed. But, but. when he, when they t- they literally used guinea pigs and nothing happened, right? They checked the flu. Nothing was wrong. Yeah. There was no t- like, come on. And it was full of all that soot and stuff. So it's like, yeah, maybe because it was closed. Yeah. Wow, the fact that we've already, like, we're already halfway through this countdown. It's crazy. I had no idea that all these authors had such crazy lives or crazy deaths. I know. You learned so much about Mark Twain in school, but I feel like I never learned about his uh, correlation there with Haley's Comet. Uh, yeah, I don't remember ever learning that. Yeah, no, I don't strange. think I do either. Yeah, and you learn a lot about him in school. You do. Mark Twain. What's next? I don't know. There's so many authors I'm thinking of right now, and I'm like, are they coming? I know, me too. Are they coming? Five. All right, let's jump back in with number five on our countdown of mysterious deaths of literary icons. Starting off the second half of our list is Percy Shelley. Shelley was one of the major English romantic poets whose fame came after his death. 
That's partly due to the fact that his death has been over-dramatized, which essentially reshaped the narrative of his life. He's become a more romanticized and mythological person than he was in real life because his death was so sensational. I feel like that happens a lot with authors in general, too. It really does, I feel. And also, side note, in case you were wondering, his wife was Mary Shelley, who we all know for writing Frankenstein. Literary power couple. Wow. Like, come on. (laughs) I love that. How did those two come together? That's crazy. The Guardian wrote an article that recalled a newspaper obituary from that time that threw shade at Shelley for being an atheist. Ooh, saucy. I'm saying. It began, quote, Shelley, the writer of some infidel poetry, has been drowned. Now he knows whether there is a god or no. Whoa. Like, whoa. To be that callous about somebody's literal death. That's dark and real petty. An infidel poetry. I'm like, okay. Yeah, okay. Here's how his death went down. July 8th, 1822, 29-year-old Shelley was on his boat. That's really young. That is. The Don Juan. Obsessed. Yeah, when he ran into a violent storm. The captain of another boat is said to have tried to help, but Shelley refused. Why? Why Maybe he was too, like, prideful. That's, come on, it's a violent storm. Such a dude thing, though. I mean, he's 29. Papa, like, never lets me help him with anything. (laughs) That's true. His body washed up on a beach 10 days later, only identifiable by the clothes and belongings in his pockets because his face and hands had been completely eaten away. Gross. Most papers reported Shelley's death as an accident, but there were some doubts. Based on the condition of the boat, many think Shelley could have been murdered possibly by people who objected to his political beliefs, which would be taking it to a whole nother level. Yeah, seriously. Shelley was buried in the sand on the beach where he was found until a month later when he was dug up and cremated on that beach. His wife, Mary, did not attend her husband's funeral, which was customary at that time. Oh, I didn't know that that was a thing. Yeah. According to the New York Times, Shelley's heart did not burn during cremation and was ultimately given to his wife. What? Quote, the heart was finally buried in 1889, 67 years after Shelley's death with his son. Can you imagine having people over for dinner as a widow and being like, yep, that's my babe's heart right over there. I literally have his heart. Not only that, can you imagine being Mary Shelley, the writer of Frankenstein? And getting a heart. And your husband's heart did not burn, so you just kept it? That's bananas. I cannot. Four. Landing at number four this week is Christopher Marlowe. Also known as Kit Marlowe, he was an English playwright, poet, and translator during the Elizabethan era, and a contemporary of Shakespeare. Marlowe died at the age of 29 in what was originally reported as a drunken tavern brawl. But historians have claimed his death was one of three things. An accident, a premeditated murder, or faked. All very intense. I want it to be faked. I love that. And they're all dying so young. They are. That was the second one that was 29. Yeah, the last one was 29. Yeah, weird. On May 31st, 1593, the story told was that Marlowe died in a drunken tavern fight after being stabbed through the eye. Ouch. Dramatic. Drama. Drama. The investigation was rushed, crazy, and according to Stanford Magazine, largely disregarded. And things just didn't add up to a lot of people. So in came the theories. 
According to the LA Times, the only witnesses to Marlowe's death were also the three shady men who he got into a fight with. Conflict. A conflict of interest. <laughs> the truth was he had actually been hanging out with them, not in a tavern, but in a house where they talked, drank, and had dinner. One of them ended up stabbing Marlowe in the right eye, killing him instantly. How does that... I love how it's just like, yeah, somehow, you know... Somebody got stabbed in the eye. It was not right. It's it was, like it really took off. I went to a dinner party. What we were vibing. We were drinking, <laughs> and then I got stabbed in the eye, and now I'm dead. Like you play like a really intense game of Pictionary, and it just gets intense. Just like, somebody oh! gets stabbed in the eye. It's crazy. The man who stabbed Marlo was in custody for a month before being pardoned by the Queen and sent back to work for a man who had connections to the Queen's espionage team, which is like. Fishy. Oh, that's a whole ocean of fishy. It is. Another conflict <laughs> of interest, in my opinion. At this point, it's important to mention, Marlowe was also a government agent, so he probably did know some secrets that people did not want revealed. Buried the lead with that one, I see. Yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> now, there's another theory. Marlowe's friends, who were statesmen, poets, explorers, etc., like really important peeps, would have open, free-flowing conversations with him. Combos that got Marlowe accused of being an atheist, which he was. Okay. He was set to answer for that offense and be punished for it before his death. So this theory says his friends didn't want him to drag them down with him, so they had him killed. Cool friends. Yeah, that's like really crappy. <laughs> Super loyal. But at the time, like you definitely don't want to be associated with like not believing in a, yeah, in a god. I guess not. Now, the third and final theory is that his death was faked and he went into hiding to get away from any political enemies. That which, would be awesome. As we've seen, it would make sense that he would run away. Yeah. And new research suggests that his death was ordered by the higher echelons of society because he discovered secrets about them. Everybody, like, no one, don't learn any secrets. Never. Just, <laughs> never. Just hum, put your fingers in your ears and hum it's, whenever somebody once says, you want no secret? But nope. No, but this is what you say. Secret secrets are no fun unless you tell everyone. Or secret secrets are no fun. Secret secrets hurt someone. That are you. They hurt you. They hurt you. Well, <laughs> needless to say, Marlo knew too much about other people. So, I don't know. Do you think that the queen had him killed? Or do you think, like, even somebody working for the queen had him killed? I feel like he either faked his death, which I'm just, like, hopeful right. that he did. Because, like, cool. Yep. But I also, the other, I really think he was killed by somebody who thought he knew too much. I don't know. I think it could be either, but I think the biggest moral of this story is like, stop with the secrets. Three. Number three on our countdown of mysterious deaths of literary icons is Tennessee Williams. Tennessee Williams is considered one of the greatest and most popular playwrights of all time. He gave us The Glass Menagerie, A Streetcar Named Desire, and Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. But he also gave us a very confusing ending to his own life. Williams started writing plays in the 1930s as a freshman in college. Same. <laughs> <Me> <laughs> Who does it? Have a wheel. Duh. And in 1944, his iconic play, The Glass Menagerie, became a Broadway hit and required reading in a lot of schools decades later. This like is ours. Literally, <laughs> like one of my favorite books. Yeah, I remember reading that vividly in school. Well, I should say plays. It was really good. Life got a little rough for Williams in 1961 when his longtime partner, Frank, died. 
This led to Williams's depression and alcoholism. That's really that's, sad. I was going to say that's so sad. Yeah. And it's also been reported that he was the victim of a homophobic attack in Key West, Florida, by a group of teenagers in 1979 that had a big effect on him. It makes me so mad that that was even a thing. And still I, hate, is a I was going to say, I hate it. For decades, he had split his time between houses in New York, New Orleans, and Key West. Great Those locations. Are the, I was going to say awesome places. Icon. February 25th, 1983, 71-year-old Tennessee Williams was at his home in Midtown Manhattan when he was found dead. Here's where the strange stories come in surrounding his death. Initial reports said that Williams had choked on a cap from a nasal spray bottle. Oh, wow. What a way to go. That would be horrific. People close to him said, nah. He actually died of secondal intolerance. He was taking the barbiturate derivative to help him sleep, but was also drinking that night. Uh-oh. CBS in New York quoted a college professor who said, quote, When this happened, John Euchre, who was his companion and assistant at the time, was still around and told the New York City medical examiner, Look, people are going to think it's suicide or AIDS or something bizarre, and we don't know what happened. So the medical examiner said, Okay, he choked on a bottle cap. But really, his body just gave up, and the eventual diagnosis was intolerance. That's wild. Can you imagine? They were like, all right, he, he choked on a bottle cap. Like, like, way to just pull that one out. Well, and I love that the guy was like, listen, I don't want people, like, asking questions. And the medical examiner was like, yeah, me either. Yeah, why not? We'll, we'll just, just say he choked up. on a bottle cap. But another question is, was it intolerance or also too much substances in his body? A deadly combination of things, if you will. Well, there's so many deaths that include barbiturates mm-hmm. and alcohol, and I feel like it's such a deadly cocktail. Yeah, I feel like none of it was good. No. And it's just sad. It is. It's very sad. Man. I've had, like, some big names on mine. Yeah, you have. I was really jealous you had Tennessee Williams because I love him. <laughs> He's a great one. He is. I can't believe there's only two left. I know. And mine is really, really, really well known. Okay, so is mine, I think. But yours I'm yours is, like, I'm. I think I'm waiting for yours. You probably are because I'm sure everybody's like, wait a second. But mine, again, like I said before, everyone's going to know the name. But not everybody's going to know this story. Well, as soon as you said everybody's going to know the name, I'm like, I think I know. <laughs> Is it? But let's just find out. Okay. Let's see. Two. We're down to the final two spots on our countdown of mysterious deaths of literary icons. At number two is... Albert Camus. He was a French philosopher, author, and journalist who won the Nobel Prize in Literature at the age of 44, the second youngest in history. Camus was best known for his works including The Stranger and The Plague, but he's on this list because his death in a car crash raises a few questions. Accident? Murder? And why was he in the car to begin with? On January 4, 1960, Camus was the passenger in a car driven by his friend and publisher that swerved off the road and crashed into a tree about 65 miles outside of Paris. The author was killed instantly. According to The Guardian, Camus had a train ticket in his pocket when he died. Huh. Weird, right? Yeah. It's You're like, in a car. Why do you need you that? Not in a train. He was originally meant to travel home with his wife and kids, but got into the car with his friend and publisher instead. Why? His publisher had offered to drive him instead. But again, why? 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 (laughs) 
Apparently, in the car was also 144 pages of a handwritten manuscript. Uh Uh-oh. It was a proposed autobiographical novel based on Camus' childhood in Algeria. He allegedly thought it would be his masterpiece. I feel it. Why does it always seem like artists are working on their greatest work when they die? I don't know. Maybe it's like they're in the headspace where they're taking more risks or they're not paying attention. Right. They're so enveloped in it that they're... I don't know. Or is it just like one of those things where you just see it, like you see it once or twice and you think it happens all the time? mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Or it's like it becomes their greatest work just because. Well, yeah, because like you put the death hand in hand with it and you're like, Posthumously, it's always more like, wow, that one was the best right at the end. It's true. Well, there's a theory that Soviet spies, aka the KGB, may have orchestrated the crash. Uh Uh-oh. Well, the Wall Street Journal reported that Italian writer Giovanni Catelli wrote in his book, The Death of Camus, that Camus' death was a political killing because of comments he made against the Soviet Union after its 1956 invasion of Hungary. Camus also made Soviet authorities mad by supporting Russian author Boris Pasternak, who wrote Dr. Zhivago. His book had been banned by Stalin. Some sources suggest that because getting in the car was a last-minute decision, and Camus had originally planned to take the train, that it's probably unlikely to have been a setup. But tinfoil hat moment. Why was his publisher asking him to get in the car? That's the strange thing to me. That's super weird. Like, was he setting it up? But, like, why would he do that? Because weren't his books making the publisher money? But maybe they'll make more money if he's dead. Yeah, but then they'll stop making money at some point, right? I don't know how this works. I'm not a spy or a killer, so... (laughs) That's good to know. (laughs) Well, Camus' death has some irony to it, since he often theorized the absurd, and according to Irish Times, is to have told friends, quote, to die in a car crash was the height of the absurd. One. And that brings us to number one on our countdown of the top 10 mysterious deaths of literary icons. Edgar Allan Poe. I knew it! (laughs) Yes. We were all waiting for it. Yeah, we were. We all had to read Edgar Allan Poe in school, I'm sure. His poem, The Raven, is what most people probably know or have read. Well, his work is known for being mysterious and macabre. He's also credited with creating the detective fiction genre, so the sad irony is not lost on the fact that his death is mysterious, macabre, and required some detective work. But whether we know the full truth is really the question. Answer it. I'm gonna try. September 27, 1849, Edgar Allan Poe leaves Richmond, Virginia, headed for Philadelphia to help a friend with some poetry. I love that that's what he, like, that's so Edgar Allan Poe of him. Let me just help you out. He's just... He's just on his way to help you with some poetry. At all times. Well, he never makes it to Philly. Days later, on October 3rd in Baltimore, Maryland, a man is found lying in a gutter, semi-conscious, dressed in what's been described as shabby second-hand clothes. It's election day, and this is outside Gunner's Hall, which is serving as a pop-up voting location, which is an important thing to note when it comes to figuring out what happened here. Okay. This man in the gutter turns out to be... Edgar Allan Poe, and this is the first time anyone had heard or seen him since he left Virginia. Ooh. Imagine being the person who finds a famed author just lying in the gutter. No. Like, you find Edgar Allan Poe in a gutter. 
wearing shabby secondhand clothes. That'd be wild. That'd be a wild experience. I'd write a book. I was literally <laughs> just going to say, I'd I think it would write like, a book. secondhand make you a writer. I would just take all that, that writerness and I'd just write a book about it. I would name it on October 3rd. He asked me what day it was. <laughs> it's all about Mean Girls. So Poe was taken to Washington College Hospital. He was kept in a windowless room and never regained enough consciousness to explain what happened, how he got there, who did this to him, anything. It's reported that he spends his days in the hospital delirious and experiencing hallucinations. That's so scary, but like so on brand. But also it's like, what happened? Why are you hallucinating? Why are you delirious? Like what happened to you? I know. His doctor says the night before he died, he kept calling out for Reynolds which to this day is still a mystery. I wonder if he was like working on a book or something that like Reynolds was the character. And he's just in. yelling for his character. Can you imagine well, that? Well, maybe because he's like so That's delirious. So author. Maybe he thought it was real. That's so author of him just yelling out to his main character. The story drove him mad. Maybe. Well, Poe died on October 7th, 1849. Official cause of death is swelling of the brain. With no Poe, no witnesses, no info to go on, the detective work begins. But unfortunately, it's mostly just theories. But I love a good theory. Well, we got a few of them. So oh, here are the theories. Thank you. We're going to give you some. The first one is alcohol and an accident. Edgar Allan Poe was apparently a notorious lightweight when it came to drinking. Could this have been a drunken night where he fell and hurt himself? This could also go hand in hand with the next theory. He was a victim of a beating. With swelling in the brain, head trauma of some kind must be present. Some speculate Poe was drunk and ran into some shady characters who maybe beat him up. But what about the clothes? I know, the clothes thing is super weird. Yeah. Could he have been a victim of cooping? This is where gangs around the time kidnapped voters, made them put on various disguises, and forced them to vote for a specific candidate multiple times. Okay. Isn't that wild? Well, and that makes sense, because he was like outside the election place. And in different clothes. It right. makes sense. Like we mentioned, like you just said, he was found outside a polling place on election day. So it is feasible. Yeah, I think so. And Baltimore is on the way towards Philly. So maybe it was just timing that he was in that city on election day and this happened. Can you imagine if that's what happened? Wrong place, wrong time. Can you imagine if people just randomly killed Edgar Allan Poe? after forcing him to wear a disguise and vote for a different candidate multiple times. Also, I feel like Edgar Allan Poe is just like, you think of him as like such a like, like, uh, enigma. Yeah. And then you think of like people being like, oh, you got to do this for us. Like, yeah, I feel like he's like, how did that happen to him? How did that? That couldn't happen to Poe. That's Never. not very Poe. No. Well, there's also been theories around carbon monoxide or heavy metal poisoning, which both seem low on the possibility list. Like, I think for we can all see why. Mm hmm. So did he get rabies? <laughs> oh. Why don't we ask that? Let's, let's shout out to rabies. I mean, shout out to rabies. Centuries after his death, there was a doctor in 1996 who looked at just an unnamed patient's symptoms without knowing they were posed until after. Okay. He suggested, based on the patient's info, they that they were all related to someone who was infected with rabies. I mean, also on brand. That one is more on brand. Uh-huh. And if that happened, I'd be like, wow, that's rough. What but like very go. Poe. Uh, the next one is maybe a brain tumor. Brain tumors can affect behavior, which would suggest why he was so off track from where he was headed. Yep. Plus, Poe was buried in an unmarked grave pretty quickly, and there was no autopsy. That's so sad. When his body was finally exhumed to move to a marked grave, one worker said his skull had a mass rolling around inside. That's crazy. Yeah. 
Newspapers at the time dismissed this idea. Yeah, because newspapers know. But of course, another, the the most Poe theory is what? as Spencer mm. Henry from Cult Leader would say, Moida. Moida. <laughs> I knew it was going to be Moida. <laughs> Could it be murder? Poe was engaged to a wealthy woman whose brothers did not like him. This theory is that Poe did in fact make it to Philly where the brothers attacked him. Poe changed into raggedy clothes to hide from them, then headed back to Richmond to marry their sister, but they caught up to him in Baltimore and somehow caused his death to keep him from marrying their sister. It's like a little far-fetched, though. That one, I feel like, is another tinfoil hat one. Tinfoil hat, for sure. you know what? We'll talk about it, because why not? We don't know. So, honestly, it seems like you can argue most of these theories in some way if you try hard enough. Like You can argue anything if you try hard enough. If you don't know what happened, you can argue any side. But the curator of the Poe Museum in Richmond, Virginia, told Smithsonian Magazine, quote, I've never been completely convinced of any one theory, and I believe Poe's cause of death resulted from a combination of factors. His attending physician is our best source of evidence. If he recorded on the mortality schedule that Poe died of phrenitis, brain swelling, Poe was most likely suffering from encephalitis or meningitis, either of which might explain his symptoms. That right there, yep. the entire time that we were talking about this and when I was reading it, in my head, I was like, that kind of sounds like encephalitis a little bit. I mean, I don't know a whole lot about encephalitis, but it seems like or meningitis. It could be like that makes sense. I kind of feel like that. But then it doesn't explain. Well, it could explain the the clothes because it's a di- the behavior difference. Maybe he changed into them, not even thinking about but it. But like, why did he have them in the first place? I don't know. That's but that, weird. That kind of like behavior could be tied to something neurological. That I feel. is true. But I don't know. It's every time you think like, oh, okay, maybe this could be it. It's like, no. I know, because the that. whole time I was like, wait a second. I think either the voting one where like the gangs wanted to have people vote multiple times, that made a lot of sense to mm-hmm. me. Or the brain tumor, especially because there was a mass found rolling inside yeah. of his skull. Yeah, that I'm like, I don't know about that. Could that even happen? It just seems weird, but... Who knows? The coop what is it, cooping, the the voting one that yeah. like you said, that seems really plausible. To me, that's that definitely does. But I don't know. It's so strange. But all of them seem like somewhat plausible. Or excuse me, most of them sound somewhat. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But I don't know. I would say that Edgar Allan Poe's is definitely the most unexplainable. Easily. I could say that for sure. Yeah. I don't know of a lot of other mysterious literary icon deaths, personally. No, other that than, are like these. Well, actually, I was going to say Sylvia Plath, but that's not mysterious at all. Yeah. These, are, these ones are like, what? Yeah. But I love the Mark Twain one really blew me away. That was sent I, me. Yeah, I had no idea about the Haley's Comet connection. And like I said, you learned so much about Mark Twain in school. Yes. And I, like you would think that you'd have some wacky English teacher that would be like, and guess what? He rode in on Haley's Comet and he rode back out. Right. Like that'd be a fun <laughs> thing to talk about. about. I don't know. I don't know. I think the podcast research gods killed it. They've been killing it, man. They've been killing the game. Shout out to them. That's right. Well, thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with another great episode. Remember to follow Crime Countdown on Spotify to get a brand new episode delivered every week. 
You can find all episodes of Crime Countdown and all other podcast shows for free on Spotify. And if you like this show, follow at Parcast on Facebook and Instagram and at Parcast Network on Twitter. And if you like us, which I hope you do because you're still here, you can follow our podcast Morbid anywhere you listen to podcasts. Or you can follow us on Twitter at AmorbidPodcast or on Instagram at MorbidPodcast. And we hope you keep it weird till Monday, but don't write a book and die in the meantime. Don't write off on a comet. And don't do it mysteriously. Crime Countdown is executive produced by Max Cutler and is a Spotify original from Parcast. It was created by Max Cutler. Sound design by Kristen Acevedo with associate sound design by Anthony Valsic. Fact checking by Cara Mackerlein. Research by Rachel Melenkoff. It's produced by John Cohen, Kristen Acevedo, and Jonathan Ratliff. With production assistance by Ron Shapiro. We're your hosts, Ash Kelly and Elena Urquhart. Mm-hmm.